Uh, this is a passage from an essay in The New Yorker by, prof by Professor Joe Lepore uh, from July of last year, July 2020. It's called uh, The Invention of the Police. This is a, a little passage in the middle. Modern American policing began in 1909 when August Vollmer became the chief of police of the police department in Berkeley, California. Vollmer refashioned American police into an American military. He served with the 8th Army Corps in the Philippines in 1898. For years ever since the Spanish-American days, I studied military tactics and used them to good effect in rounding up crooks, he later explained. After all, we're conducting a war, a war against the enemies of society. Who were these enemies? Mobsters, bootleggers, socialist agitators, strikers, union organizers, immigrants, and black people. To domestic, to domestic policing, Vollmer and his peers adapted the kinds of tactics and weapons that had been deployed against Native Americans in the West and against colonized people in other parts of the world, including Cuba, Puerto Rico, and the Philippines, as sociologist Julian Goh has demonstrated. Vollmer instituted a training model imitated all over the country by police departments that were often led and staffed by other veterans of the United States Wars of Conquest and Occupation, a police captain or lieutenant should occupy exactly the same position in the public mind as the captain or lieutenant in the U.S. Army, Detroit's commissioner of police said. Today, police officers are disproportionately veterans of U.S. wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, many suffering from post-traumatic stress. The Marshall Project, analyzing data from the Albuquerque police, found that officers who are veterans are more likely than their non-veteran counterparts to be involved in fatal shootings. In general, they are more likely to use force and more likely to fire their gun. Volmer Air Police enforced a new kind of slave code, Jim Crow laws, which had been passed in the South beginning in the late 1870s and upheld by the Supreme Court in 1896. William G. Austin became Savannah's chief of police in 1907. Earlier, he had earned a Medal of Honor for his service in the U.S. Cavalry at Wounded Knee. I'm going to read that again, just so everybody. Earlier, he had received a Medal of Honor for his service in the U.S. Cavalry at Wounded Knee. He had also fought in the Spanish-American War. In 1916, African-American churches in the city were complaining to Savannah newspapers about, quote, the wholescale arrest of Negroes because they are Negroes, arrests that would never have been made under, uh, would never be made if they were white under similar circumstances, unquote. African-Americans also confronted Jim Crow policing in the northern cities to which they increasingly fled. James Robinson, Philadelphia's chief of police beginning in 1912, had served in the infantry in the Spanish-American War and in the Philippines. He based his forces training on manuals used by the U.S. Army at Leavenworth. Go reports that in 1911, about 11% of the people arrested were African-American. Under Robinson, that number rose to 14.6% in 1917. By the 1920s, a quarter of those arrested were African-Americans, who, at the time, represented just 7.4% of the population. Progressive-era Volmer-style policing criminalized blackness, as the historian Khalid Gibran Muhammad argued in his 2010 book, The Condemnation of Blackness, Race, Crime, and the Making of, the, of Modern Urban America. Police patrolled black neighborhoods and arrested black people disproportionately. Prosecutors indicted black people disproportionately. Juries found black people guilty disproportionately, judges gave black people disproportionately long sentences, and then, after all this, social scientists observed the number of black people in jail and decided that, as a matter of biology, 
black people were disproportionately inclined to criminality. Comrades and friends, hello. This is another edition of the Highlands Bunker Podcast. We're in the shadow of Rockford Tower. We're behind enemy lines. And we're all here in the bunker today. Our friend Carl is behind the uh, the board. We have a great friend in from Puerto Rico, Maria Beauchamp. Hello, Maria. Thanks for joining and hanging out with us. Hi. Thank you for having me. And uh, we have a uh, city council person and hero and, uh, and uh, shit stirrer, uh, Sinead Darby. How you doing, Sinead? I am doing well. Can't complain. I'm happy to be here and to have this conversation. So yeah. So, um, did you know that thing was going to blow up when you when you liked it? No, I did not know it was going to blow up. So in just good old Shanae fashion, I repost things, right? Um, and it hasn't been the first time that I have reposted anything in regards to policing or police officers to uh, for people to know what my stance is. And I think I was pretty clear, like, even when I was running for office or even previously as, like, just a community person, what my stance was on policing. And I don't want to say specifically, like, the Wilmington Police Department, just policing overall as a system, right, and as an institution and how it affects um, black and brown people. And I made that very clear. Um, So I'm very consistent. (laughs) So even becoming a council person didn't change my view. It hasn't changed. If anything, it like solidified it even more. Um, learning like you know about budgeting and how much money they're getting and what they're spending their money on. It even makes me fuel the fire even more for me to talk about policing in Wilmington, policing in Delaware, policing in our country. So I was actually more shocked that people were shocked that I posted it. And it was actually a repost. Um, Keandra McDowell, who's now Keandra Ray. Yeah, let's let's tell the story. That's what I wanted to get into. Yeah. So now we'll say it was about two weeks ago, just on Facebook, Keandra Ray, who is uh, Van McDowell's sister, um, posted a, a meme on, on Facebook, which uh, you can describe. Yeah, so it's a meme. It's um, I guess it's like a a leader or a chief, someone standing next to a group of police officers who have the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan's um, like headpiece on. And it says, based on a true story, and I, I think it says Blue Ku Klux Klan. Um, and it was a repost. And I simply reposted. I didn't even like put a, like, I didn't even write Im- like words with it. So I just reposted it, went on as regular. And two weeks later, um, there's a, actually, Two weeks later, a council meeting happens, and everyone is talking about a post. And I'm sitting there, like, confused, because the article did not drop yet. So I am, like, confused, like, what are they talking about? Are they talking about me? I don't know. No article dropped yet. And so I'm thinking, they must be talking about me, and they wouldn't directly say my name. Um, and they start talking about also another article came out that morning though, in regards to my nonprofit, Black Mothers in Power, um, people had an issue with us asking for allies to donate, to come to our event, which was for our chocolate milk documentary, which was about breastfeeding in the black community. Um, so the newspaper had an issue with that. That was like a controversy. So when that night happened at the council meeting, I was like, are we talking about that? I don't know what's going on. And then within like a few hours after the council meeting, the article dropped. And I was like, when did I 
even post this? Like, I was like, what? Like, I don't even remember even posting it. So I went back. I was like, oh, yeah, I did post it. I didn't write anything with it. Um, So I was kind of just shocked, again, that people were shocked that I would even repost something like that. And then I feel like they created a narrative that they wanted to paint of me based on a picture that I posted. And um, so they created a story of me being... um of me being, um, they called it black racism. They called it anti-police, um, anti-this, I'm anti-that. Um, some of it might, you know, anti-police might be true. But Yeah, well, it was funny <laughs> that you said that because I was like, okay, black racism, that's not a thing. That that's what I was like, that's not even a that thing. Doesn't, that doesn't exist. Uh, anti-police, everybody should be anti-police. That, that's very obvious. So, like, okay, let's go down the list. Yeah, and see but to them, it's very negative. So, when I say um, I'm anti-police, I don't really say I'm anti-police, but if, if, you, if people want to label me that way, I'm not really, I, I, I guess I would be labeled as anti-police, but I'm really into, like, police reform if we could eventually get rid of police one day i'm okay with that but um in the in this moment we're talking about like reform um and reallocating funds so defunding police i am all for things like that so i guess they pieced together other comments i have said earlier to create a narrative when i posted that that i am against the women's and police department i did not make one comment about the women's and police department um in that post um and prior to that i'm just i'm just connecting dots because prior to that anything that's related to police department voting i say no to so sometimes i'm the only council member who votes no to any type of funding for the police department they need a shirt or something i was like nah not doing it because I, and and it wasn't because i don't think they need shirts I think the conversation needs to be had about how money is being spent yes. um, in the police department. And I think by me saying a clear no, people are starting to pay attention. Like, usually all councilwomen just says yes to anything they want. Yeah, I mean, this is an important... Before we get to sort of the history and and the reaction of the the mayor and the regular, you know, the, the power structure. Um, yeah, I mean, the reason this kind of stuff is important is because without these sort of challenges, nobody ever talks about this stuff. Like, frankly, if this didn't happen, now, maybe I would have done another, I'm sure, you know, based on my views, I would have done another police episode with somebody at some point and been able to read that little bit um, from that essay. But, like, nobody would talk about that. You know, nobody, people have mentioned, well, it comes from slavery and slave codes, but people don't understand just how ingrained this is in what police are that's what they are nobody should be apologizing for it nobody should be like oh you know i you know trying to teach this is this is history you know we took a an occupying a force that occupied the philippines and occupied puerto rico and fought wars in cuba and exterminated the uh, native americans and and, uh, and and ran death squads in the west against the asians all of this stuff, it's all documented, fact. And so the idea that you would make a funny, you would, you would just forward a funny meme to, to sort of like point that out um, and, 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 and as mad as everybody got, I, I love that conversation because I now you're having, the con- you're having the conversation, <laughs> otherwise it would never be had. Right, and the conversation isn't even being had on a council level. Literally, I have not, no one has reached out to me. No one has spoken directly to me. All the comments I am getting 
right. or from the newspaper, from the media. Like no one has directly. So that conversation is even happening on the council level. It's more happening in the community level of people either reaching out in support or saying, ah, what you, I don't like what you posted. Um, but so that conversation is really for me, not happening amongst the council with a way, in a way that I would like for it to happen. And I don't think it's going to happen with me being the start of that conversation in the current city council that I'm sitting in. Um, I think a lot of things that I desire or that I am outspoken about, people are automatically turned off from it. So if I am saying things like we should have community response teams, we should, we shouldn't, we can maybe reduce our um, police staff to have a community response team. They get scared. <laughs> like, well, they, they don't like those conversations. Well, I have a theory about why they don't like those conversations because, and I, I'm interested to, to see what you think. Because, you know, obviously the Przyki wing of the Democratic Party in Wilmington is going to be the reactionary party of capital, the neoliberal party, the party of real estate development and finance. Like, that's. We know that. Right. So the Nathan Fields of the world are of no – that he's nothing to me. He just might as well be a nobody because I know that that's what that is. But when I see people like um, Xanthia Oliver or um, who else Who else made a comment in the news journal? Loretta Walsh. Loretta Walsh yeah. or even like Linda Gray. Like they have what I call – um, they've been. Hanif- I don't know if Linda made a comment. She made no, a comment. In the- I don't okay. think so. Okay, I don't yeah, think so. So did. I'm no. So let to, to be clear. I'm lumping her in as a uh, as a as a as as somebody who is an advers as who is adversarial, but m- not on f- at first glance part of like the real estate wing, because I look at them as being sort of Hanifa Shabazzed, like y- the person uh, appears to be somebody from the community, um, but nobody you know she uh, you know. Her and BPG are tight. Um, you know, she lives in a built. She lives in a, in a home that was built by BPG. Everybody knows that those connections are there, and so all of those people have their power is based on their how they can work with the system. They have to do it. Um, I mean, Linda Gray is a good example. Not that she made a comment, but you know, mm-hmm. she's connected to the, like they the, the the power of the uh, of the few people in these communities seems to be connected to um, the the power structure as it is, where you are you are somebody outside of the status quo, and so you see you see you know you know black people from the community, and you're like, oh, they'll they'll probably be good, and they all are terrible. Because they have been pulled into the, the the current hegemony of the city and how it's run, and they do not want to upset anybody. Because if they do, they lose the power that they they are the little power that they, I that agree. they have. Is that what you think is happening? No, I definitely do agree too. I think um, exactly that. Uh, people don't want to lose power. People don't want to lose status. People are scared of losing it. Um, they will lose connections, jobs, networks, and I agree. Um, and some people don't want to sacrifice that by speaking out and doing the right thing. So I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think about things. So there's a, um, there was a, a recent series in an independent uh, website, independent news site in Los Angeles called Knock LA uh, about the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department gangs. Um, the woman who wrote it is her name's in my notes somewhere. Oh, uh, Cerise Castle. 
It's a C-E-I, C-E-R-I-S-E is her first name. Um, but just talks about the development of these gangs in Los Angeles, these police gangs. And, you know, how they're, they're close-knit. They're there to be basically street thugs, you know, uh, you know sort of right-wing violent death squads in some cases. They have great, you know, names that you would, you would realize are, are not great. Um, you know, basically connected to military ideas. I, I definitely ask people to go and Google or look up the, the LASD gangs on the Internet and, and take a look at this stuff because it goes into the 90s and the 2000s. Actually, the, the, the person who's running the department today, and this is not the LAPD. This is the sort of like the difference between the city and the county police. So this would be like the Los Angeles County Police, not the city police. Mm-hmm. Um, the the uh, the head of it today is is a, is a member of one of these gangs, and they have tattoos, they have buttons. You know, you can get swag, you know, and it's 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 some it's some sick stuff. And as I was reading it and listening to the reporter be interviewed, I, my mind went back to uh, Yahim Harris mm-hmm. uh, getting shot uh, up by Market Street uh, by the pizza joint, and and finally um, getting free after. You know, us being out there a few times and causing some trouble. And the officer that shot him um, got into some hot water because he lied about, like, the gun or lied about the situation. Uh, and then the gun had actually changed the barrel of the gun out so that ballistics wouldn't be the same. And so, like, we don't get to find out about that, right? But how many people in that, in that squad or how many people in the police department do you think knew that that person was doing that? I know that it's more than two. You know, because these guys talk, they know what they're doing. It's a tight, you know. So we have, we have, uh, we have those here, and nobody wants to face it. You know, and that's the thing that's scary to me. And I guess that that was my my next question to you is now that you're seeing it from sort of the council side, seeing the budget, seeing how that is playing on the political side. Um, what's your take on that? I mean, is there any way to to do advocacy around this at all? Yeah, there is way to do advocacy. So I've been trying to do a lot of data collection in regards to everything is about the money for them. So I'm trying to understand where money, I believe money is not spent in an effective, efficient way in the police department. So one of the things I've been asking about is military equipment. I don't think police departments need military equipment. So I've been asking and requesting um, about what is our military equipment inventory, when was it purchased, how much, and what is the annual maintenance for that. We have military equipment. Wilmington PD has it. Uh, Most of it you'll see come out when there's like a protest going on. Um, They'll bring out military equipment um, to be ready to attack people, right? Um, I don't think you need military equipment. A police department needs military equipment to um, police people. Um, well, we really shouldn't, don't need police at all, but, um, for the conversation today, I don't think we need military equipment. So I've been trying to get that information and that data and those numbers. Another thing I've been trying to do is that Women's PD claims and the chief will say that they have, that they do provide direct services to communities so that they contract with the state or the county, um, different, um, large entities to come into Wilmington and provide um, the social services for families who are in need after a crisis happens. Um, they're stating that they have services to help the homeless popula- population. They're stating that they have these services coming. 
quite frankly, I don't see it happening in Wilmington. So the questions I'm asking is for a list of all of those contracts. How much are those contracts, the length, and how much? So I want to be able to say we have money to do police reform because that's what they would say is that they don't have money. And I've been working with um, like only like a few people on and this is the first time I'm really talking about it publicly. I'm going to have a few meetings about it, but I wanted to create a Jeremy McDowell police reform package. And one of the first things um, that we want to look at is community response teams, improving our 911 system, looking at the use of force, um, looking at how to strengthen our civilian review board. So our budget, we got 50K. And for our civilian review board, it has no authority because of Leo board. So Leo we're working, board, we're working on that. Yeah, yeah. So Leo board, hopefully it gets passed in twenty um, twenty two. Um, but we think that um, the civilian review board should at least get established and started so that we can start collecting complaints and starting to get that data so we can prove why we need it. So right now we might not have the authority to do anything, but if we're able to collect that data and be able to say, we're getting calls, 100 calls about this officer, we're getting, you know, like being able just to have the data and the statistics to be able to say, this is why we need Leobore to be, it should just go away altogether, but I'm okay with the revisions for now. Um, uh, we're going to go repeal, full repeal. Yeah, I just I said, we need to get rid of it. I'm, I'm for repealing Leobore. They did it in New Jersey. Um, and I think we should do that, but I don't know if a full repeal would happen in Delaware. We'll see. We got to put pressure on them, maybe. Uh, as 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 we always have to do. Yeah. I mean, there's this. I mean, really, what it is 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 a is a very entrenched idea of what the police do with against what they actually do. Like, uh, it's not. It shouldn't be surprising to people that our police train. The Israeli Defense Forces, mm -hmm. the Israeli police, because the Israeli police actually execute uh, and administer violent apartheid uh, against occupied territories and against Palestinians in, in Gaza. And um, and we train them to do that with our tactics and how we do stuff. And if you just think about that for a minute and sort of reflect on that little piece of the of the of the uh, New Yorker piece, you're like, well, why why are we doing that? Like, what does that mean? What are, what's the point of all of this? And, of course, you know, they th none of these questions are – that's why you get the reaction you get. People get very uncomfortable when their idea of what the police is gets blown up because there's power there. Same with the Przyki power. And so people don't want to question it. Uh, and it's, it's very nefarious. And – it's great that you're doing this because my first, and maybe and we'll get into it a little bit, like your, your sort of your first uh, time on, the, on the, how the first session went as you, you know, we were on the city council because I followed it for the first month or two when, it, when COVID started to uh, you know, kind of wind down the first wave for the Delta variant. And then it was such a joke. I was like, you know what? I'm sorry. I just got to leave Shanae and let her do her thing there because nothing's happening. Nothing. But. Uh, but because because nothing nothing significantly is going to be passed doesn't mean you can't use your platform and the power that you do have to at least be there to do the things that you're doing. I think that's incredibly important. So I I do you know I do think that there's a lot to be said for you know those kind of actions that you're taking for sure. That's what I agree. That's that's kind of been my stance that I know that a lot of things that I propose will not probably it probably won't get. It, 
you know, voted on. Um, I probably won't get a lot of yeses on a lot of things. But the point that I'm bringing these topics up, that I'm having these conversations, um, like one big conversation I'm going to have soon is about term limits for city council. I know they are going to vote no on this, but I want to have this conversation. And I want people, I want the city council to hear from the community and people who support term limits for city council to say, we don't want people to be on here for 30 years doing nothing. That's not fair. That's not fair to the next generation because I felt like it was so hard for me to get into politics because it was like this Delaware way of in this status of that you have to be connected to certain people and certain networks to do things. And I think some of the ways that we can break that is by saying we're, we don't want you in office for 30 years and you don't do anything like that. That time is over. That time is done. And I really think like true leaders in politics actually get in, get out. And they train people to become to come after them to do better than what they did, and especially the younger generation. I'm hoping the younger generation, in the next ten years, the younger generation is coming for me. Like your ideas is old. Like you gotta go. Like like I hope the younger generation is putting pressure on me like that. And so I really believe in things like term limits for city council because there's no way that we have certain city councils who've been on there for decades. What do you have to show for it? I think that's so unfair. And like, so th those conversations I have, residency is another conversation I want to have. Um, sidewalks, the city wants to give sidewalk responsibilities to a residence. Like having these conversations out in the public with the community, I know that it probably, sidewalk resolution, if Mike, Mike Przicki has his seven. So they probably will go through to the General Assembly for them to consider it. And you know, um, Gerald Brady, State Rep. Gerald Brady, he was a city council person who introduced that before when he was in Wilmington. And I guess the community shut it down. I wasn't really into politics at the time. I guess this was a few um, years ago. And they shut it down, but they want to bring it to the state level and have um, Gerald Brady take on that um, torch down in the state level. Let me tell you so, something about Gerald Brady. <clears throat> I know he wants to finish his term. Uh, because he's also involved in the Leobor thing as well. Uh, I know he wants to finish his term, and he he doesn't want to be remembered as a as a a vile scumbag. Um, it's going to be tough, buddy, because I'm going to keep talking about how you're a vile scumbag. You're getting hit by the union now. That can't be helpful. So I mean, look, if you really believe what you said, and you want to go down in history as like a decent person. You should be thinking about this stuff. Mm -hmm. You should be thinking about going hard, trying to repeal Leobor. You should be thinking about, you know, not going out, not going out like a, you know, like what we say on the street, like a bitch. Not going out like, and, and, and doing everything everybody wants you to do and then trying to squeal away and get your job, keep your job at the AFL-CIO here. That's not how it's going to work, my friend. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I always I wanted to I wanted to mention that mm -hmm. because that we have to start leveraging. Uh, leveraging that kind of power if that's what people you know if, if that's how people are going to play it and we have a little bit of leverage that's how we should be using it i agree i agree you know? the advocacy um, all of that has to be in play it's funny i have a different view of the of the term limits though i wonder what your take on it is yeah I'm i think listening. like okay so i understand i mean what you're saying is correct i mean we have long-term people who have accomplished basically zero uh i mean uh, list them: uh, Theo Gregory, zero. Hanifa Shabazz, zero. Uh, you know, all these people are just nothings. Their legacy is is nothing. Um, you know, I don't know what Nathan Field is going to do. I predict it's going to be nothing. Um, <clears throat> and again, it, it's just based on the machine, based on how Przicki wants the thing to run. 
However, if we organize and we organize against the machine, the Delaware Way machine, because their, their argument's always going to be, well, just vote us out. You know, we have an election, vote us out. Well, that's the trick there is what you said. You know, they have a machine. So when Linda Gray gets a challenge from Kobe Owens, they all, it's all hands on deck. You know, Linda, Linda Gray gets, to, gets the money, and they also bring in, you know, another big name, you know, big, you know, uh, you know I, I, guess you would, I guess you would say it's nepotism, too, because, you know, it's who his dad was. Um, but, you know, you have a third party run against him. I mean, you see what, what they'll do to a, uh, an, an insurgent leftist progressive candidate. So, yeah, I mean, it's easy to say just vote us out, but you know what you're going to try to do. Yeah. But if that's how you want to play it and we organize and we get, uh, you know, a progressive, you know, uh, an activist, an advocate, and, you know, we can get that advocate on the city council for 50 fucking years. I said we'd get him on there for 50 years. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't mind playing it like that. You know, if we can get another Shanae and, and, and uh, you know, Carl and, uh, you know, get some people on the city council who believe as we believe, uh, I say, fuck it. You know, just put the hammer down. You know, so I'm, I'm of two minds about it because what you're saying is correct. It definitely helps with, you know, cycling, you know, just, just stale old ideas um, that just serve the status quo. Uh, but it also limits the kind of things we can do if we organize and win. No, so I, I don't. I, I'm I'm of two, I'm of two minds on it. No, I agree, but that pressure has to really the next election be on, and I'm afraid that people. I love my community, but when people don't pay attention till it's the last moment, sometimes so it'll be the same people making the noise, and if the election year comes, now everyone's trying to pay attention, and it's too late for me. Sometimes um, that's what I'm thinking. It's, it's sometimes it's just. It's just too late. And it's like, for instance, we, I don't think specifically, I think about the black community and how we organize for 2020 for running for election against the mayor. Why did we allow for two black people to run against Mike Przicki? This vote was literally split between two black people. Well, I don't know if we allowed it as much as um, it was done. I mean, Carl's our resident um, strategic, you know, sort of political strategic guru. Um, I mean, neither one of those candidates was particularly strong, but it always helps if you get two of them to split the vote. That's a, uh, you know, yeah. I, I don't think, I mean, I, Carl, is there, a, is there a sort of a wonk take on that, on the last mayoral election of like how that happened? I'm not closely connected enough to women's politics. Okay. Because I, I my, you know, I I hear you know rumor and innuendo all the time, especially like, hey, how did how did how how was there two people running against Linda Gray? You know how how that how that happened? Like why would a a conventional candidate uh, in Al Mills, whose brother is a as a as a representative in Dover and whose father was a big deal, why if Linda Gray is the establishment candidate already and the BPG Przicki blessed candidate, why? Why would another establishment candidate come in? Well, because Kobe Owens is a nuisance. Kobe Owens has to be tracked by the police, uh, you know, when there's actions coming up. Kobe Owens and his family need to be harassed, and the people on his block need to be harassed by the police. So they're going to take every step that they can to ensure that that person doesn't have political power. 
and I and I I mean I don't want to be yeah I do I want to be conspiratorial. I think that that had a lot to do with just ensuring that Przicki won a second term, and um, I that's what I believe. Yeah, I heard that. I don't know if it's true or not, but people would say like Justin Wright was planted by the man. Like they would say things like that. I don't know if any of it is true, but I think it was set up to be that way. But then how do we fight things like that? Yeah, I mean, you have to fight them sort of one at a time. Um, the, the the issue with that part of it, like the, the, just the mayor race specifically, is if, if, if our organization, whatever you want to call it, sort of the progressive network, working families, sort of activist organizations, if we would have run a candidate who we were all behind, like we did with Eugene, then that kind of... I mean, even Eugene got it, got his numbers chipped away and chipped away, but that was a special circumstance because that never happened before. Right. But that's really, we have to find, there was no other candidate willing to step up. I mean, I think that, that Hare, uh, Michael Hare and the BPG people just were able to just, you know, it, it's like insurance. It's like, you're probably going to win, but we'll just get a little bit of insurance. So I don't really think we were organized to 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 do anything in that, for that office anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, the only way to break it is, you know, the way that we've done it in the state legislature and just find places, find candidates and put everything behind them. Find the next uh, Medina, find the next Marie Pinckney and put fucking everything behind it and fight like fucking mad. I agree. And I hope that happens in 2024. I hope so. But my, the only, my only issue is I think because of the, uh, the dysfunction of the city council in the sense of um, actually doing pr- you know progressive things for people on a on a on a large scale um, and and just sitting back in the status quo and doing real estate deals I think because people are discouraged by that I just I, I don't know how much even Carl was like you know I'm not too much into this when we see in politics because it's like it's it's kind of like a joke to people because nothing can ha- nothing can really happen. Now, if we find a candidate, another candidate that, you know, that we could, like, you know, we had you and Kobe got one, uh, maybe we'll do it again. You know, I know uh, Christian Willauer had run and, and, and fell a little bit short, but she's a great housing advocate. Um, so there's, there's a little bit, there's people around. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, you, you are correct. Like, I'm, I'm nervous about the city council because I, I just think that. Perhaps you're going to be the lone voice of, of trying to do the things that you were talking about before. And, you know, when it comes to like, when it comes to like passing things that we like, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. So that's why I'm hoping 2024 we can get a strong candidate, a uh, slate of candidates for city council. Because um, we had um, Kobe, um, Christian Willauer, and I. And I think those were like the only like real like progressives. Yeah. You have some people that are like, ah, oh, borderline, like, ah, oh, they're good. Um, but those were like the three progressives and yeah. I was the only one who made it. Christian was so close. Um, and it would have been great if she made it on, but I just hope 2024 people, we can get a slate and I'm all for, if people are willing to do that, not focusing on term limits, but people are not focusing on women's and city council politics. People are not doing that. So like, how do you have these conversations? How do you try to beat a system that you're in and not become a part of it? Uh, Because I definitely don't want to become a part of it. 
Um, and it could be frustrating, like you said, being the lone wolf. Like sometimes I'm the only one saying things. So like we're having this redistricting comment, um, redistricting conversation. Um, so we're trying to break Wilmington up. How do we do that? How do we have those conversations? I think it's actually going to be more people running in 2024 when the new lines are drawn. And we have to do that by February 3rd. And even then I heard that um, I was selected to be on the committee. So you're appointed by the council president. I was appointed to be on the redistricting committee. And I'm hearing that there are people, which we all know who the people are, who did not want me on the redistricting committee. They don't want me on there. They don't want me to voice because um, I always talk about like equity and how do we make sure black and brown communities aren't affected and how do we make sure the most vulnerable communities are protected and how do we not make sure gerrymandering or buddymandering is happening? Like how do we make sure these things are happening? I'm vocal about it, like what we should do and like highways can't be boundary lines and we can't break up certain neighborhoods or we need to build like um, they were doing the numbers and over West Side, the Hispanic population, they literally broke it up by district so they don't have like a lot a say because they're so divided by this district so the hispanic community really does not have a voice politically like how do we make sure that when we're drawing the lines that we look at that as a community of interest to make sure when we're drawing the lines that we can build up these community of interest so that they have more say more political um clout more um more say in like programming and things like that in their community because when a community any community is divided up their voice gets diminished and unheard. That's almost like you think of like the school districts. Wilmington is broken up in five, four different school districts. We really don't have a say in education because of that. Um, so like, how do we make sure we're looking at redistricting? So when they hear me talking like that, they're like, take her off. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. You're like, I don't. I know there's some people who didn't want me, and then you said it. And I'm like, well, that's you're saying why? Because <laughs> nobody. I mean, that's a, that's a direct challenge to people's entrenched power. Like as as long as they go along to get along and pretend that the cops are good, and pretend that what Puccini Pollen's doing is good, and pretend that the new steakhouse next to Bardet is is good is something good for the city, um, then yeah, I mean once once we can break the spell of that by leveraging, like you said, by leveraging actual communities together, then the 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 old way is is under threat. And so, yeah, I mean, the the one thing that the 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 folks who are within the the Delaware way, both in the state and in the city, the one thing they understand very well is what is a threat to their power. Like, and they don't they don't frame it that way. They frame it as well. There, we we there's only one way to do things, and we're doing it that way. So if you don't do it this way, you must be crazy or something. That's how they frame it. Like, yeah. How they frame like the cops are good. No, the cops are terrible. I mean, you re anything you read is horrible. But we can, we pretend like they come and save our lives. They don't save anybody's life. They don't. They don't do that. They show up after something's happened and clean it up, maybe. Um. So, but but yeah, those are the spells that need to be broken, and and these people are very attentive to any action that would break the spell. That's why you got kicked back on that on that meme. Because people don't want to think about it. I mean, that's what you said. Like, I'm bringing stuff up and people are like, what are you talking about? It's crazy. No, it's not. It isn't at all. Um, and I I actually... F it pisses me off, actually. Um, because sometimes it's done, especially in the city, by bullies. By people who bully people around and tell you how it goes. Like, why are you doing this? You're not going to do it. They're real thin-skinned. 
that's why I mean that's why to be perfectly honest that's why when I see Mike Przyzicki in public I always take the opportunity to make him feel like shit because he's he's a, he's a bully and he's a piece of shit and I'm going to take every because I there, there's nothing he can do to me like he can leverage against you in the city council he can leverage the police against people but like I'm I'm immune to his bullshit so I'm I'm going to treat him like a, a piece of shit on my shoe because that's what he deserves. Um, but it's difficult for people who are who are sort of closer to the, like you are to try to figure out like you you have to be a little more careful. Maybe you don't. I don't know. I mean, you sent the meme out and that was fine. Like, yeah, you got I, you got feedback, but like who cares? Really? Yeah, they got, no one has said anything to me. Um, I heard a few things that um, the seven may try to do to try to get me off of stuff or committees right. and things, and I'm like. Okay, if that's what I want to do. Like I show, like no, like it's not, it's not hurting me at all by what y'all doing. Like, Cause I'm gonna speak the truth, and I'm not gonna change. I'm not conforming. Um, I'm not gonna listen to because they think they're senior that I'm supposed to listen to what they're saying. Not saying they don't have any wisdom or anything, but I don't fall in line politically with a lot of your views or your ideology. So. I'm not going to follow what you're saying. They want me to apologize. I am not apologizing. Um, I really, Stop billing her. She's right. <laughs> like, really, I really honestly, my first thought was the fucking audacity. Like, for you guys to ask me to apologize to a century-old century old system who has been oppressing and affecting families and black and brown communities for centuries. Like, how yeah. dare you? Like... How dare you ask me to apologize for that? And then how dare you build the narrative that you wanted to build on me based on a meme I posted and then expect me to buy into your narrative and apologize for it? I'm not doing it. It's not happening. Not today. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not next year. It's not happening. I'm not apologizing. What I said is what I said. Well, I really didn't even say anything. What I reposted is what I reposted. And like... (laughs) It, that's what it is. And anything else that I have said outside of that context, that's how I feel. I would continue to vote. Any single time has something to do with women's PD. I would continue to vote no until they're ready to have that conversation. And a lot of times city council, what I always hear is we don't have that much power. And I said, imagine the power in a city council saying no to women's PD funding and how fast they would change if we had the majority of women's city council saying no. Until y'all fix this, no. And then after y'all fix it, we say, yeah, we get y'all the shirts that y'all need or whatever you need. But until then, it is no. If we were to, as a council, as one, be able to do that, the impact and power. And imagine if all the cities throughout, we were able to, if I was able to communicate with Dover and Milford and the rest of those cities, we had progressives on there and we were able to say those things. The impact that it would have on even passing Leoborg. Like, no, we're not going to do that until Leah Board is passed. We're not voting on anything Wilmington PD. Like, the power in that, like, I, I hate when they say that in meetings, that we have no power. Or they redirect and say, that's a state issue. No, that is our, our issue. Like, Leah Board is our issue. It might not be something that we can directly, imp- like, we can directly vote on, but the impact we can have on making sure that that gets repealed or revised um, is so crucial and important. But no, when I say that, no one hears me. And I'm like, imagine if all of us say no to anything Wilmington PD related. Now they're going to think real quick about this Leah Board thing and fighting against it and speaking out against Leah Board being repealed or revised um, in our state. So we have way more power. But at, like as I was told, politics is a team sport. 
um, and you need your votes to get anything done or to have any support for anything. So I'm just. Yeah, I just yeah. wish people would, would be honest and be like, look, we don't want to do anything. Like, like. That's what I get. From, that's what yeah, I. Yeah, just like, look, Chris Johnson, I understand what you want to do. Like, you've made it very clear what your agenda is. And so, okay. Like, I can deal with people, at least if they're being honest. But to say, like, oh, we don't really have any power anyway, so don't worry about it. Well, you have what you want, though. Like, you're not arguing about anything, but you're not doing anything either. So you can't be held accountable for anything. Because you're like, well, we can't, we couldn't do it if we wanted to. Oh, well, that's great. Fuck you, then. Yeah, because Johnson like, what, what is going to be quiet, too. He got what he wanted in the budget. So, you know, he um, advocated or got the legislation passed in the last... Um, um, session in regards to a civilian review board. Right. And he needed money for it. So now that he's the finance chair, he was able, I guess, to negotiate with the mayor to get what he needed to complete whatever agenda he's trying to make. So he got the money he needed to run his civilian review board. He got what he needed for what he needed. So he's not going to speak out for anything like this. Yeah, no, of course not. Because it's, uh, again, you, you have to, like, people don't want to have these difficult conversations. Um you know, mostly because they're weak and they know they're in a weak position and they're, it's very tenuous. Like, th they know that without, like, one small, like, misstep, if your power is based on Buccini Pollen Group, Przicki, and the cops, and, and just trying to, like, you know, you're on a tightrope, they're very afraid to do anything to, to, for the wind to blow, you know, to cough, whatever. And so, yeah, I'm not. I'm not surprised. I was. I will say that I was disappointed because I thought I didn't think I didn't think there would be that many people coming out and just being like, "Oh, you should apologize." I mean, I knew the mayor would, but I don't care about him. Like he's a not, like you know what I mean. Like I know it's like like like, the, like if the governor does something, I don't really care. But if somebody in the legislature who I'm like, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. Like, just shut up. But again, I think a lot of a lot of people's base of power just comes from you know a small group of people in their district who are connected to you know who are connected to the mayor and and you know get some money for their nonprofits or you know whatever. And so that's all this is really about. It's not really about like changing the lives of people in the city for the better. Um, it's about. I mean, we talked. I talked to Larry Lambert about a project that we're we're working on about Claymont. And in there, it's not BPG, it's Capano, right? They're trying to, they're trying to build these this stuff in Claymont for basically like, you know, professional people from Philadelphia or professional people. You know, you don't have to move to uh, Middletown or Hocassin. You can move to these fancy places in Claymont or whatever. Well, like, there's people already there. You know, but if your first, if your first move is to change the neighbors and increase the tax base, I already know it's fucked up. Do you know what I mean? No, I definitely get what you're saying. Yeah, no. I mean, if, you're, if, if your big celebration is the steakhouse next to Bardea, I know I mentioned that before, but I'm, I'll mention it again, or, or, or Tin Pan Alley or whatever it's called, Maker's Alley. Um, like, if, that's, if, that's, if you think that's a success, you're a fucking idiot. And I don't want anything to do with you. Like, I know where you're coming from. And so that should be, that should be said just as a baseline. Like, if you're worried about bringing rich people in to spend money so the tax base goes up so you can employ more more service, you know, people in the service industry, then 
I have nothing to discuss with you because you're fucked up. And so you can tell me what you did. I, I, just, I don't care. You know, I'm, I'm like, this is why what you're saying is so important because somebody has to be there to say it. Somebody has to raise these issues or no one will talk about it and suffering will increase. Now, again, are you doing anything for the suffering? Not yet. But the first thing you got to do is put it in people's face and say, this is not right. The way the cops behave in this city is not right. I mean, how, imagine, imagine after the Newcastle County cops came into the city and murdered a guy on tape, on video. We have like, we have different angles of it. For nothing. Lamont Moses. And then, you know, a year later, you, you, you share a meme and people get upset about it. Yeah. It's fucking disgusting. Imagine that. Imagine watching a guy get executed on the street for nothing. And then, and then get mad about a meme. I, I, I tell you what. I was pretty good at the beginning, and then as I was reading, once I knew you were going to come in and do this, I'm reading this, I'm reading that, and I'm like, oh, I'm starting to get real mad. Yeah, <laughs> I like, I that, that's what makes, it makes me so frustrated, too, because when that incident was happening, I'm, like, talking to council people, like, we need to say something. Like, you, we should be upset. Like, everybody's like, oh, that's out of, that's county's issue. What? They were in Wilmington. That's a woman. Like, we should know. We want, should know. Demanding. What happened? We should be asking the same questions, but everyone, that's out of our jurisdiction. That's not our issue. And I'm like, this oh, it is, is of course crazy. Is. Like, yeah. how is how are we quiet about this as a council? How are we not saying anything? How are we not pushing any agenda or anything or putting cr- pressure on our own Newcastle County elected officials and saying, y'all need to do something. As a council, we, we, we are pressuring y'all to do something. Well, Chris Johnson got the 50, got the 50 grand for the, uh, for the board though. Yeah. He got the 50 grand for his board. And the crazy part, what I'm sitting here thinking the mayor didn't even want it at first because he was saying it won't, it won't have any authority. Right. That, that'll because tr- of the yeah, Lord. Again, you won't have any authority. Yeah, it won't have any authority because of Leo board, but he was able to convince the mayor to still give him the 50K with no authority. He was still able to do that. And I asked for a blueprint. I asked for a, a blueprint to be created of North Market Street. So North Market Street in the second district is also shared with the first district and the third district. It is a total mess. No capital projects have even been thought of for it. It needs a complete turnover, redone on that whole strip into North Wilmington, um, Northeast, Northwest area. I literally asked for pictures and a like a blueprint of like a potential of what it could look like if development was to happen so we can try to encourage um for um for things to happen in that neighborhood. And they told me there was no money. But they were able to get fifty K for a civilian review board that had no authority. So that goes to say like they believed in Chris Johnson. <laughs> well, they believe had- that Chris John they believe that when when a when a when a county police death squad comes and massacres a guy inside the city, they know that Chris Johnson won't say anything because he got bought off for fifty thousand dollars. I mean, I'm sorry, that's just what fucking happened. Right. And so because these because be, you know because your pet project can, can can get you know the mayor will come to your event and you can get a check for your shit and you know and you can get you know you know it used to be you could get the money for your nonprofit. You could do this and do that. As long as you can do that stuff and keep your mouth shut, people are fine with it. I'm not fine with it. Yeah, and the mayor but, came to the, the first district and did a community meeting outside of PS. And that baffled. I wasn't going to go at first, but I was convinced to go. 
And it just made me so upset because we was, this the, about, was this the gun violence This one? was the gun violence. Okay. You talk about gun violence. You talk about all of this. But where is the investment in the money? You did not come here to say, I'm going to put $1 million into the first district to improve uh, and put investments into this community in regards to um, improvements here for the people who live here. You came here just to talk to us. I'm tired of him talking. He just talks, talks, talks. Put your money <laughs> where your mouth is. Like... It's it's time for that. Like I don't want to hear another um, speech from him. And I made a I had um, that. I'm surprised that didn't go viral. But I had made a a quote about. We can make it, it go viral. Yeah, I had put a quote about it on my page. Like no, like what you did, what you did coming out there, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Back it up with some money in investments in neighborhoods that haven't had it for decades. Well, that's the problem, right? Is that, and I've had this conversation on multiple occasions with multiple people. And the fact of the matter is that money either goes out to people sort of like the Chris Johnson way where, okay, take the 50 grand. You can't really do anything with it anyway. Go in yeah, your, your corner. You can't do anything. With anything. I could have used the 50 grand. You can't do anything with it anyway, but you can go, you go and do that. Or there are, the, there are the big sort of transfers of public goods and public value into private hands. We saw it on a, on a smaller scale with um, you know, the transit center. Um, but we see it on a bigger scale just with with the riverfront and what they're calling riverfront east you know so it's just like we'll make deals where you know as long as you can get rich people to come and pay more tax the number in the cell goes up so that deal is a good deal but improving the conditions for people who live on north market street and the associated you know whether it's uh whether it's the east side or or northwest by the school or whatever it is, that doesn't really you know people's well being. There's no there's no formula or cell in the Excel spreadsheet that that calculates people's well being. Like you should go to a finance meeting. You could probably tell them you've probably been to them, and they talk about this money goes here and it's going to do this and these people are going to do that and this is we're going to get this and we're going to get that. But nowhere do they say and actually. The people in that neighborhood will be better off. There's no calculation for that. Yep, and in the budget they gave money. I can't remember the number, but I, I want to say I cannot remember. It was fifty thousand dollars, I think, to Rodney Square for maintenance of a fountain and oh, flowers the fountain. annually. I, my heart. I asked the question. I said, "Is this a one-time thing, or is this?" They said it's annually, and that creation of Rodney Square has not benefited any surrounding community. So it baffles me. And then the people who vouched for it was the business district. So why aren't they paying for it? They need to pay for the annual maintenance of Rodney Square. You guys wanted to move all the bus hubs, um, well, the majority of them, because there's still a few there. You wanted to renovate the Rodney Square. That was the business districts who were really um, pushing for that. The community did not push for that. Now you're telling us my tax money is going to go towards that annually. When that can go to so many other projects of communities who need it. So, like, those very things, like, I talked about. I said these things in budget meetings. I said these things vocally. And, I, I, and I'm the only one. Sometimes I'm like, am I crazy? Because I, no one else sees anything wrong with this. Like, no one else said anything in city council but me. And it was like, this, this is draining. Like, I cannot, I, I must be crazy. I have to be. Because how do y'all think that is okay? There's no benefit to the community. When you do things, it's supposed to be a benefit. 
to the community that has been there for generations, not to bring in new people, like you said, um, rich um, outside folks to come in. How do we have conversations about benefiting our community? And they're not willing to have that. Even I was trying to propose the legislation in regards to a certain amount of housing that is um, developed in the city. A certain percentage of it has to be um, dedicated to either like low income um, or affordable rent uh, for like an average everyday person to um, to afford it. And I got pushed back on that legislation. Of course. And I'm like, how and why are we excited about another development of housing happening in South Bridge? I think it is, um, which is really connected to the riverfront because they're just expanding out and we're just okay with it. Like no one's saying anything. And it's like mind blowing to me. Like we are really okay. And I don't want to be complacent, but I also don't want to go crazy. <laughs> yeah. Believe me, one of the, to, uh, you know, uh, one of the reasons, one of the impetus behind, like even starting the podcast, was an outlet for me to start saying this stuff because I started feeling like I was going crazy. Like, like, well, especially you know, let's be honest, you know, I, I have an affluent background, I live in an affluent neighborhood, and so when I walk around, you know, the people I talk to are like, oh, cool, new steakhouse next to Bardea. And when you tell them that that's fucked up, they're like, what are you talking about? It's going to be great. Well, yeah, it's going to be great for you. Like, do you have any idea what goes on outside maybe these four blocks? You really don't. And so I, I needed to build up a – I needed a way to bring people in and, and figure out that we weren't crazy. Like, that this – that you don't have to think like this. It doesn't have to be this way. Like, and and – and it's hard because, you know, the, the the powerful people in this city, they know that it doesn't have to be this way, but they'll never tell you that. They'll say, well, this is how it has to, I mean, what what's our financial interest? How do we increase the, you know, who gives a, you know, who cares? Like, I'm not saying that we should go into bankruptcy, but there are, but there are priorities that we can make, and it's not about giving away our shit so that, you know, whoever owns that, uh, who owns that parking garage now at the at the uh, transit center? We gave it away to somebody. Colonial Parking, I think. So Colonial Parking, and then Dart, I think, pays Colonial Parking a fee. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, it, just, it doesn't, yeah, sometimes I think I'm breaking down. It's, it's, it's sick. And, uh, and I understand how you feel about, like, am I in the bizarro world or what? Yeah. Sicko time. I agree. Well, let's talk about something. Let's talk about something uh, a little more interesting. Let's talk about Black Mothers in Power. Um, and I def and I want to pull uh, Maria in too and talk about what you've been doing in, in Puerto Rico because we're so lucky to have you in Wilmington for the short time. I was just so happy that you were here. Um, yeah. So Black Mothers in Power. What have you, What have you been working on? How's it going? Yeah, it's going well. We just celebrated Black Breastfeeding Week, so it's just like a week to acknowledge like the joys, the highs and lows of like bre um, breastfeeding in the Black community. Um, so specifically for African Americans, um, breastfeeding would Breastfeeding was a generational knowledge that was cut off during enslavement. So we were told that we weren't allowed to breastfeed or we weren't able to because we were working all day, right? They weren't giving us um, 
breaks every two hours. <laughs> you know, the, hey, let's go express milk. Um, go feed your baby. Um, so those things weren't happening during that time. And like breastfeeding is a generational knowledge that is passed down. So that was cut off. So that reduced the number of um, women who were getting that information generation by generation by generation. And then, you know, formula was just introduced and that um, reduced it for almost all women in regards to breastfeeding, but specifically in the black community, it helped to reduce those numbers even more when formula was introduced. And then we get to me today and my generation um, where the statistics are really low. We have the lowest breastfeeding rates um, throughout the country. Um, even sticking to it, we have the lowest rates and it's like really detrimental. It's like really like a life or death, like thing to do. Right. So statistics data shows that if breastfeeding rates were to increase in a black community, it would reduce infant mortality rates by 50%, literally by 50%. And, and when you look at the data statistics, the numbers, black women are two to, two to three times and black babies are two to three times more likely to die. And, um, during the um, reproductive stages. So that's giving birth and then after postpartum. So these things are really concerning. So like increasing um, the awareness of the history, the facts, and then how do we get black women to say that they want to breastfeed and getting them to breastfeed, getting that knowledge to be able to be passed down. So numbers are going up as we're having things like black breastfeeding awareness week. Um, and then it's already like a craze within the last few week, years of like doctor's offices encouraging women to breastfeed. So the numbers are increasing, but they are really low in comparison to other groups. So we celebrated black breastfeeding week. We had a documentary of chocolate milk, and that was like a whole controversy And in the articles. and That was a controversy? Yes, it was a controversy. That was a news article in itself. Delaware well, Live covered it. Oh, Delaware Live. Our friends at Delaware Live. Yeah, that's not real news. You, you, I understand Yeah, I know that. they're that's not, not real that's news. That's not real news. Yeah, so they covered it. And I'm sure they, they covered it. Yeah, they covered it. So what was the what was the, um, what was the, the controversy about trying to increase the um, – the the rates of uh, black mothers breastfeeding that's controversial that's a controversial issue yeah so the controversial issue was that um, black women um, well it was an option for allies to select do a seven dollar donation to black mothers in power for coming to the event okay um, there was no options if you were a black woman <laughs> or a black birthing person as um, it's like another term to use okay um, and I guess they didn't like it. And it wasn't, it was allies. So like if a, a, like black men who came, they paid, some did more than $7. It was an option on the bottom. If you couldn't do the $7, you can do whatever amount you wanted. It was, that was $2, $1, $100, whatever you wanted to do. Um, so it was anyone pretty much who wasn't a black birthing person had to do a donation based ticket. So they did not like that. They said that they were gendered and race based and. It was racist. Black, you're black, you're a black racist. Yeah, that's what they told me. I was yeah, I mean, Delaware Live and right. Milford Live is absolute garbage. Um, I mean, I've talked about this with tons of people. I, I've just started, because of the Delaware Call, getting involved in more, like, local journalism, both independent and, and big journalism, too. So, like, I, you know, I'm, I met the guy that runs the Cape Gazette. I was on a call with the guys from the News Journal, the, 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 the WDL, even, even WHYY in Philly. And so I've had these conversations with people, and I'm like, that's that's not news. And 
like that's garbage. That's just garbage propaganda baiting. It's just it's just it's just reactionary. Yeah, they bait. It's reactionary. <laughs> it's reactionary baiting. And again, because because it's a story, they're like, well, this happened, and they're just reporting that it happened. Yeah, the reason they're picking that to report it and reporting it in the way they do is is that uh, has a political agenda, and. Um, you know, again, I'm not saying that I don't have a political agenda. I certainly do, but I don't hide it. Um, I don't try to make excuses for, you know, the stuff that I do and pretend like it was perfectly fair when it obviously is not. So, yeah, I mean, Delaware Live, Chris Kenny's, you know, group and Shoop and Milford Live, all of that is absolute fucking trash. Um, you know, I, I have nothing good to say about it, and I hope they fail. Yeah, that's like, y'all just making up stuff so, at this point, and I up. think that... Um... Council is trying to paint a picture of me as being that. I think they did that with past council people. Sure. Um, and they're trying to paint me as this picture of that I am this terrible black racist person. I want to draw the line. They said I'm drawing the line between the black and white people in Wilmington. Um, so they're trying to draw this picture of me being this person based off of the meme. Um, and I think they did reference um, Black Mothers in Power, like what I did with the ticket sales. But they were very indirect in what they're saying. So, like, I don't know, like, what they're trying to do. Um, like, they haven't retaliated against me or anything. Like, I haven't gotten off any committees yet. I haven't been, like, they. someone was talking about the ethics committee. And I'm like, well, take me if that's what y'all want to do because it was that's my opinion. I didn't can you call me as a witness, please? I can. I would, hap- I would happily be co- come as a witness. I'll, I won't. I won't. I won't mention that uh, that you 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 called Carl uh, Yacoub a white devil when you came in here. Okay, don't tell him that. <laughs> don't don't. <laughs> so I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. All I could do is I looked up and I was just thinking like, you know, Carlson here. We're sitting here like the idea that you're like drawing a line between white and black people is so stupid. And I'm like, let's just start a rumor that you came in here like in a dashiki. They were like. <laughs> They, no, they will love that. Like, they will call me like they, they're trying to. I think they're trying to do a lot of what they did to like Sam Guy, like censoring him. Like they did a whole resolution I heard to like censor him from speaking. And I feel like people should have the opportunity to speak and say how they feel and call out systems if they want to call out systems, right? Um, no matter what people's thoughts may be of Sam Guy, he called out systems and called out people for who they are. And that's one thing that I loved about what he did. And they tried to censor him. And I think they're trying to censor me, too, um, in the same way. So they might do a resolution, I don't know, to censor me in the next few weeks or take who me knows? off committees. Here's what I I'll say. Know. I mean, the thing about <laughs> Sam Guy, I mean, I agree with you. Like, I, I like when people point that stuff out. Like, I, I love it. Uh you know, that's why I, I call Mayor Przicki racist to his face as much as I possibly can because they don't understand. They don't even understand where you're coming from. And so that's that part of it's good. But Sam Guy had his own schemes going, you know. And, and so the difficult part of being uh, – what kind of word should I use for it? Being a, a, an outlaw and, and calling it like it is and not being beholden to the hierarchy – and the power power structure, the thing about that is they're going to do stuff like that, right? So Delaware Lie is going to be like, oh, she charged um, allies $7, but black women didn't have to pay or whatever. Like, that's really nothing. But they're going to look at all kinds of stuff like that. So unfortunately, like, you know, you got to be pretty clean because any kind of scam that you pull – they're gonna they're gonna be all over it. And I think Sam Guy, that was his issue. Like in his district, he he. You know, he had his own stuff going on. 
And so I think that that's the tricky part. Because when you do this, I mean, it, it happened to, in a, in a different f- context, but it happened to John Kowalko in Dover. You know, he's pointing out, you know, hierarchical economic things. And he was marginalized. And I'm sure they'll try to do that to you. I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm very um, keen on making sure that people are standing with you and having these conversations and keeping them in the, you know, in the, in the discourse for whatever that's worth. Because what you're saying is right. As I said earlier, the, the police, there's a history of the police. Right? It comes from somewhere. It developed from something. It was used. It was staffed by people. And people do not want to face the fucking facts. The, the, the Wilmington Police Department has military equipment. It's fucking crazy. You know, they kill people. They kill unarmed people. And we're just supposed to be like, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I mean, is that, can we do anything? I don't, I don't know. Like... That's fucking madness. And I, and, and I don't think people... And the only way people are going to, to, to break through that is, is being uh, very brave. I think it takes a lot of bravery to do it. Well, so I appreciate it. I'm glad you I came in to do it. Thank you all for having me today. Of course. I appreciate it. I, I'm, I'm very happy that you came in. Now, Maria, what have you been up to? <laughs> I'm so glad. I was just so happy when we chatted the other day. And, and uh, I was like, are you in Wilmington? You're like, yes. Yes. Like, nice. How are you? Good, good. Good to be home. Um, I'm trying to be home more often now, sort of like I've been working with Erica, a few things for the community. Um, so it was like a wake up call. Like there are things happening here in Delaware that still need attention and strong voices. So that's why I appreciate that we're having, that I'm here today. Because yeah. with- your name came up a, bu- a bunch in the last couple of months. Like um, Erica and I and Ray Krantz from the Delaware Call worked on a story about um, a girl who was just treated horribly um, downstate on the bus. Yeah. Um, you know, I hope they get some, some semblance of peace because that was a bad story, but I know your name came up with that. And you also uh, uh, recommended uh, the, the the discussion about the Sudbury School yes. with Michelle Klassen. So I'm, I'm actually very excited about that. Um, I joined Michelle and, um, and one of her friends, and we found it. Um, the school, and I'm very excited for it. I think having tools and opportunities of education, it's a key to be able to reach our communities at a younger age, to then create that generation that's going to say 10 years from now, like, step away, I'm ready to to be city council or to be a better mayor. So, But we have to create those opportunities. Um, and in Puerto Rico, I was able to spend time with a similar school. Oh, cool. And I got to see firsthand, hey, like, if we actually allowed our children to decide how they want to be educated and take control of it and have a voice completely on how the school is managed, how teachers are teaching, something great comes out of it. So when I was in Puerto Rico doing the new political party, a lot of the young people that were helping me came from a school similar to that. And they're very involved in politics. They're very involved in their community. They're, they're activists. They're advocates. So, so there is power in actually empowering our children at a young age. So I, I was very excited when I met Michelle. And it's like, I'm all in for this. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun conversation. It was cool because, you know, there are certainly things I could, I could uh, critique about it. And we did. We had a conversation about it. But ultimately, um, anything that is trying to apply sort of like radical democratic principles as a rule, is something that I think is good. Um, you know, I, I, 
I would hope that, you know, that's something that's the, the some of those things that you can learn could be, you know, bro- more broadly implemented, you know, and, and allow people to sort of like uh, learn things that are more related to their interests or, you know, learn facts, but through the context of their interest or through more context that they understand the way children learn how to speak or the way they learn how to walk. Um, you know, they learn in their own context, in their own way by the people around them. And so you could also learn math like that. And so it's a very interesting, um, it's a very interesting endeavor. So I was really happy to meet her and I got, now I'm glad to be able to thank you for putting us together in person. So thank you. Thank you for always giving us space to have a voice. It's actually very important. I think one of the topics today, it's those hard conversations that people don't want to have and sort of like stirring the pot. But we have to do that. If we continue to put important topics under the rug just to make a few people feel comfortable because we don't want to rock them. Well, we're not being fair about society. Um, I'm constantly rocked every day because of the things that I have to see that my brothers and sisters have to face. Um, and you don't see me outraged in a way where I want to censor whoever is doing this. No, I want to have the conversations. I want to have these really painful conversations. And let's talk about history and facts and truth. And if we can't have that and people in power cannot handle that properly, then they really need to step out. They need to let go and let the future generation that it's ready to talk about it. It's ready to sit down the community and say, this is what's happening, but this is why it's happening. That needs to happen. Um, I think that one of the questions today, it's sort of like, how do we do this? But we have to use platforms like this ones and we have to knock on doors. We have to talk to our community. And we have to let our community know this actually does affect you. It might be not directly right now, but a few weeks from now, it's going to be at your door. And But we can't prevent that from happening. We have to have this conversation. As a Hispanic woman, um, I know what police brutality feels like in Delaware. I have felt it. I know what racial profiling is. I have lived it. I have talked about it plenty of times before. But it's, again, one of those subjects that it just gets put under the rug, it's okay, let's just, we have something to say, or she posted something on Twitter, let's, let's give her a meeting to make sure that she feels she's being listened to, but we're not going to have an actual plan. So we need to reach out to more people, and we need to organize them and say, hey, they're, they're really not listening, and there's no action being taken, and we have a lot of city council people just happy with a title that is not benefiting our community. So then what are we going to do about it? Because our children, they need a future and they need those opportunities. And with people in fake power, that's never going to happen. Well, everyone, thanks so much for uh, tuning in once again to the Highlands Bunker podcast. You know how to find us at patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. We're at Highlands Bunker on Twitter. Uh, I just want to leave you with this. Um, Carl will probably be um, uh, linking uh, to that New Yorker uh, essay. I, I... I really encourage people to read that. You know, it's a little bit longer. It's like 20 or 30 minutes if you go through and take some notes. There's a lot of other good resources. Um, as I said, it quotes a couple of sociologists and their own books. And it's just, you know, because these, these are facts. Um, the police come from somewhere and they do a certain thing. And, you know, because you're in a comfortable position, you don't really think about it very much. Um, but it, this, these are just facts. It's a racist institution. Um, that's just the way that it is because all of our institutions are like that because we haven't done anything really about it. Um, if you think Mike Brzezicki isn't a racist because he adopted 
uh, a black son, you're a fucking moron, uh, because that's not how it works. Um, and other than that, we just need to stand with Shanae, we need to stand with Maria, and we need to stand with people who are having these difficult conversations, because otherwise, the hierarchy and the money are just going to grind us all into dirt. And, um, and we can do better. You know, we can actually, you know, we can address suffering and we can help people rather than, you know, just transferring money to private hands to make more money. It's not going to work. So, Carl, thanks for thanks for uh, sitting behind the board once again. Shanae, thanks for coming in. Of course. Thank you for having me anytime. And Maria, it was great seeing you. Great seeing you too. Everyone left is best. Yeah.